from coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. You're listening, you're listening. You're listening. You're listening. to Terra Informa. Welcome back to Terra Informa. This week, we are airing our final guest documentary made by community service learning students at the University of Alberta. Last week, we heard a documentary about community gardens and their linkages to people's consumer habits. This week, we are exploring urban beekeeping in Edmonton. I'm Hannah Cunningham, and I'll be your host for the next half hour as we listen to the documentary and then dive into an interesting product that was developed with bee conservation in mind that may have ended up being a bit of a flop. Before we begin this episode, we would like to acknowledge that this episode was produced in Treaty 6 territory in Amiskwitsi, Wiskaigin, Beaver Hills House, or so-called Edmonton. We are broadcasting from unrecognized Papa's Chase Cree territory. The Papa's Chase Cree were displaced following consistent efforts from local officials like Frank Oliver to discredit the legitimacy of their treaty right to this territory and to reserve number 136, now South Edmonton. Not confined to history, this region is also the present homelands of many First Peoples who build their lives here, pursue livelihoods, and gather together, including Cree, Métis, Blackfoot, and Dene. Wherever you're listening from, we ask you to consider whose version of history informs your understanding of the land you are on. Speaking of bees, did you know that Tutsina First Nation in Southern Alberta started a beekeeping program in 2019? After a workshop in 2016, five Tutsina beekeepers graduated and were supplied with the necessary beehives and materials to kickstart the program, resulting in apiaries that have been maintained and cared for on First Nation lands. This week, we are airing an audio documentary created by Madeline Lux and Mario Rodriguez for an agricultural economics class that had a community service learning component at the University of Alberta. Through interviews with beekeepers and business owners, this documentary explores how urban beekeeping has changed the city of Edmonton. Enjoy! Hi, my name is Mario Rodriguez and I use he, him pronouns. My name is Madeline Lux, and I use she, her pronouns. Today, we're talking about urban beekeeping. On the back of the Honey Nut Cheerios box, it says the bees are responsible for one third of the world's food. Pretty amazing for such small bugs. Wow, that's such a crazy fact to wrap your head around. Here's another cool fact for you guys. Bees can pollinate a flower after just one visit. Think about how important this is for agriculture on a global level. However, bees are dying at an alarming rate. Pests like the varroa mite and other invasive species have caused a rapid decline in domestic honeybee populations. Beekeepers are losing up to 40% of their hives every year. Very true, Maddie. And over the past few years, many organizations, businesses, and community leaders in different parts of the world have started to bring awareness to the alarming rate of bee population declines. This is why we are interested in urban beekeeping and to understand how people are working to do their part in helping bee populations. To help protect honeybees, many cities have been embracing urban beekeeping. Back in 2015, Edmonton passed a bylaw allowing people to have up to two beehives in their backyards with the appropriate license. Of course, these hives are meant to be hobby only, meaning that the honey, wax, or any other product can't be sold. It can only be given away. And we wanted to explore how urban beekeeping has changed Edmonton. Before we explore Edmonton's beekeeping scene, let's first understand more about bees and what happens inside the hive. 
As you might have learned back in elementary school, the queen bee is the only one who lays eggs. She'll make thousands of worker bees. These bees are all female and they're responsible for maintaining the hive. They collect pollen, feed the queen, and make honey. In the spring, the bees will start to go out and collect pollen. They use the pollen to make honey, and the beekeeper's job is to monitor and collect honey from the bees. A domestic beehive, that's to say, what you might see in the city limits, usually looks like a stack of large boxes. These boxes are called supers. Usually, there are three to four supers in a hive. Inside each box are frames, where the bees will make honeycomb and fill it with honey. The bottom supers are just for bees. The queen will lay her eggs in there, and the hive will make honey for itself. The top supers are where we get our honey from. The queen does not lay eggs in it, so all the honey in there is extra. In the fall, the beekeeper will extract the honey. With urban beekeeping, extracting is usually done by hand. The top layer of a honeycomb is scraped off to get the honey inside, and then the frame is spun to get all the honey out. Once it's in jars, the honey can be used for all kinds of things. So those are the basics of beekeeping, but we wanted to learn more about how urban beekeeping has become a part of Edmonton. So we interviewed urban beekeeper, Philippa Rodriguez. Philippa works for the Government of Alberta in the Department of Agriculture and Forestry. As a mom to two daughters, her house was always full of pets. When her daughters grew up, she decided that it was time for a pet of her own. With the help of her youngest daughter, she began researching bees and her interest in beekeeping grew. While her family helped plant the idea in her head, Philippa says the thing that made it possible in the end was her move over to the Department of Agriculture. There, she met the provincial apiculturalist, who pointed her towards Edmonton's urban beekeeping pilot program. She got her hive and has been an urban beekeeper for five years. How much honey do you typically get? So we've had very, very big years. I only have one hive. And one year we got close to um, like 300 pounds of honey just from the one hive. And I think it is because the city is a very productive place. There are so many sources of pollen and nectar, so many different kinds of things that flower that I don't think it's an issue. It's a, you know, it was really a matter of learning to keep up with them uh, on the supering and not letting them a couple times. I, you know, we were a little slow with that and they started running out of room and becoming like um, honey bound. So then, you know, they, they put, that means they put, start storing honey in the brood boxes and then the queen does not have room to lay eggs down there so you know I think the city is just very productive and um that that was kind of an eye-opener so um but the the you know the weather and the drought and the smoke those were when when we had those smoky summers and very dry summers that definitely impacted how much we got and I think you know it dropped in half like we got 160 pounds what do you do with 160 pounds of honey (laughs) we have we give it uh away like all you know people get honey a lot as gifts from us (laughs) what has been the most challenging part of it all the 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 part that I worried about as uh an urban beekeeper and as part of the process Uh, of applying to get the hive you have to inform your neighbors that you're going to be doing this and I told my neighbors of course if you ever see them in your backyard if they ever bother you if you're ever stung by them we will get rid of them I don't want to upset anyone 
But the funny thing is, like, literally none of my neighbors have ever seen them in their yard. And it's always been a little bit of a mystery to me where they go, because you can see them, you know, flying in a direct line to whatever source of pollen that they found. But it's nothing around here that I can that I can figure out so they leave the yard in a, a line and that line kind of changes direction as they find different sources of pollen and all of that is just like it's really fun to watch um, and they have never stung anyone my neighbors have never seen them my dog got stung once um, and she definitely leaves them completely alone now so um, all the you know the potential issues about people getting stung or hurt or it being dangerous definitely have not been an issue as far as I can tell. While neighborly conflicts haven't been an issue, overwintering has. To overwinter a beehive, you wrap the hive with what looks like an insulated garbage bag. This keeps the bees warm all winter, but isn't always successful. Philippa actually lost her hive last winter. Fortunately, you can either get bees shipped to you in the mail, yes, they will actually send you a box of bees in the mail, or you can buy a queen from a local apiary. What has been the most rewarding part of it all? Um, I think the most rewarding part, I mean, other than the complete uh, amazement that you can get honey from them, like that to me was just astonishing that, that it's that simple. Although, I mean, uh, of course, like, you know, intuitively understood it, but I did not really understand it in real life, which I do now. Um, I think they, you know, they're, I like having them in the backyard because, um, they are always busy. So you can see them flying in and out of the hive and it's just a very comforting presence to have them back there. How do you think beekeeping has benefited Edmontonians? Aside from pollination and uh, those kinds of things, it's good for all the plants and trees in the city. Um, I think it's a great thing for people to learn about. I think anything that puts you in touch with, you know, biology and learning more about how the world works on an ecological level like it's it's got to be a good thing I uh and it's a conversation starter you know we live on a corner so when we're out there tending the bees people always stop and want to talk so it's a great conversation starter everyone in the neighborhood knows that we have bees and um everyone is interested in them so it's kind of it's a social thing as well as a you know a great thing to learn about biology and ecology and nature. Wow, what a great interview. So far, we've learned how urban beekeeping is not only a great hobby, but also a great way to get up and personal with nature in the city. But how can urban beekeeping help support local businesses? Aren't byproducts meant to be for personal consumption only? Now that's a great question. I explored this in my interview with Richard Osro, the owner of Good Morning Honey. Richard lives and runs his bee farm just outside of Edmonton and has experience collaborating with urban beekeepers and helping them get their hives up and running. Uh, my name is Richard Osro. I'm a beekeeper in Parkland County, and this is our 10th year of being a commercial beekeeping operation. Uh, it's run by myself and my, my, my wife, Amber. So going into detail, this podcast will dive into the world of beekeeping and urban beekeeping and how this is unfolding in Edmonton. But before we get into that, could you go in, into detail of how you yourself got involved in beekeeping? Just for a little bit of backstory. I grew up on a farm and I always had that farming back in my blood, but I couldn't figure a way to make a, a living off of that. 
and and I wanted to get back onto some land because I felt like if I didn't buy any land at that time, it was wasn't going to be attainable or affordable later on. So I started looking for land all around Parkland County, looking at maps, seeing who had lots of land, going and visiting them, and trying to see if I could find something so I could start a little farm for for my family that was fairly young. I had two kids at the time, two young kids. So I came across this guy in my land search that was a beekeeper and he didn't have any land, but I kind of just filed that away. And then I thought, oh, so that's pretty cool. So when I finally did find our farm that we moved to, I went back to that beekeeper and I said, hey, would you put some hives on my land? Because I thought that'd be pretty cool. I wanted to be kind of a Noah's Ark farm with donkeys and chickens and geese and turkeys and, and all those things. And then, and I thought the bees would be cool. So I said, would you put the bees on my land? And then you know, when you come and work them, I will help you guys and learn a little bit. And then maybe in a couple of years, buy one or two hives. And what ended up happening is he did that. But a few years later, he decided to retire and kind of talked me into becoming a commercial beekeeper. So instead of buying one or two hives, I bought 920, which is pretty ridiculous looking back at it. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, but it worked out. It worked out. That's great. That's really so. It never really, your first um, when you started. It was never really about the bees first. Yeah, no, it was. It was just for the lifestyle, you know, to be out in the country, to be able to provide for for myself and for my family, and just and have the uh, you know the setting. So um, I guess can you walk us through like what's it like a day on the bee farm? You know, like from your morning, what you do with them. It's pretty varied. You you, you get a lot of variety in beekeeping. There's no two days that are the same because. You're, you're dealing with millions and millions of insects. And like every other aspect of farming, it's very weather dependent. So you really have to roll with the punches. Um, it's getting up early, getting a handle on what's the weather doing today? What do the bees need? What time of year is it? Because you have to, you have such a short season when it comes to beekeeping that you have to hit all your targets and, and make sure the bees are getting what they need because the flowers are going to flower at a certain time. The bees need to be doing what they need to be doing. And if you're, you know, saying, oh, I'll get to that tomorrow, you might be missing out a, a big opportunity or harming your bees or, you know, all those kind of things. So you have to take all of that into consideration. It's like a giant chess game when it comes to beekeeping. You really have to be thinking several, several steps ahead because you, you work a full year's worth of work in basically a six or seven month window. Some of the biggest challenges are managing, keeping your bees healthy, uh, you know, talking to the old timer beekeepers, it seemed to have been a lot easier in the old days, but as the world gets smaller and we get, uh, you, you just seem to be getting more and more pressures on beekeeping management. Um, the biggest one right now is mites for bees. So there's a thing called Varroa mites and they're parasite on the, on the bees. So they'll come into the hive and then they'll glom onto the bee and they'll, it'll sort of suck the fat bodies, the energy reserves out of the bee. So that makes the bee um, a little bit sick and weak. And it also, that mite is a vector for other viruses and diseases. So that's the big thing that beekeepers have to try to combat and keep those mite levels low. They're always there in the background, but if you can keep your levels low, that's great. If it gets ahead of you, then it can cause all kinds of issues. And, you know, there's only so many tools in the toolbox. And, and as I mentioned before, beekeeping has a short 
window of when you can be doing things. Um, a lot of these mite treatments you can't do during your honey flow because you don't want, you know, anything ending up in the honey and adulterating the honey. So you're trying to keep the most pure, clean product available and you're fighting time and nature. And, and so when all the honey season is done and then you, you have a short period of time before winter strikes, you got to be on your toes. So I think managing bee health is, is the biggest one to, <laughs> to say it in a more short way. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting too. Cause you have to like, you have, like you said, it's such a short period of time. So you really have to get on that quick. Yeah. There's, there's no, there's no thinking for too long about anything. You have to think hard and act fast in beekeeping. So as we move on to the next section, this project revolves all around urban beekeeping and how it is shaping Edmonton. So this would include different challenges, innovations, and aspects of sustainability, like how bee populations can keep the ecosystem running. And if I'm not mistaken, you said you're located in Stony Plain. Is that correct? Yeah, near Stony Plain. We're, yeah. we're, we're about 10 minutes away from Stony Plain. So it's not too far of a drive from Edmonton. And, and recently, Edmonton, about a few years ago, approved urban beekeeping. So how could this affect your cost or the way you work with other businesses or initiatives? Well, I've, I, I've helped Friesen Brothers, which is a grocery, grocery store chain. It's a family-owned chain. They have, I think, 17 locations around Alberta. And last December, they gave me a call and said, hey, we're, we're going to be opening up a new store in, in Edmonton on Rabbit Hill Road, just uh, north of the Hendy. And they said, we want to put some beehives on our roof. And we want to we want to have that and be able to, you know, because they were putting a, a rooftop garden as well. So I said, sure, let's try this out. And I didn't have any real experience with doing that because, you know, managing a, a beekeeping operation out in the country is much different than doing it in the city. So they went through the whole process, got the approvals, being able to keep the bees in the city. And we helped them out this year and it was very successful. You know, it's a lot more work when you got to hike up stairs and, and haul heavy honey supers downstairs, you know, a couple flights of stairs and all those kind of things. So there's lots of unique challenges to it, but the bees did really well. I was, I was happy with, with how everything came out. The, the biggest thing with, with urban beekeeping is people need to um, educate themselves. If this is something you want to try, you can't just say, Oh, I like bees. Let's get some bees and just go, go and order some and spend a lot of money and not understand the biology of the bees. Cause you can do more damage and, and hurt your bees and hurt neighboring hives of other beekeepers. If you're not managing them properly, you don't have magic bees that are never going to get sick. Bees, you have to consider them as a domesticated animal now. They need our help to navigate this uh, world we live in now. And, and if you don't pay attention, you'll be doing more harm than, than good. So there's lots of great courses out there a person can take. Nate has some. There's other people who run good courses. And there's other companies that you should be aware of that maybe aren't as great. And check your social media see what people are posting about them because there's definitely people to shy away from and then there's people to to really take a good listen to and, and learn from yeah of course um that actually kind of answered one of my questions about um like common misconceptions people have so it's not like oh i'll just get a beehive today and it's like something you really have to study and like know what you're getting yourself into yeah it's like saying hey i like milk i live in the city i'm gonna buy a dairy cow and it's just gonna <laughs> And it's just going to, I'm going to go outside every day and there's going to be a glass of milk waiting for me. It doesn't work that way. It's a lot of work. 
whether you have one hive or 10 or a hundred, it's, you have, it, you're always learning. There's always something different happening. You have to be in that hive on a regular basis and learn how to read what's going on and saying, oh, oh, they need my help here. Or, oh, everything's looking good. That's great. I'll leave them alone now. You got to be able to determine what's going on inside that hive and to, just to keep them on, you know, on the right track. For you, what is the biggest difference between an urban bee farm and out in the country? Well, you can spend more time on every individual hive um, if you've got one or two. Like we have 3,000, usually plus or minus a couple hundred. And, you know, you, you can't manage that the same as you can one or two hives. So you, have, you, you manage them a little bit differently. Costs are lower when you're only running one or two hive. When you have to run multiples of everything, that gets a little bit crazy. Um, so now like moving on into like your business. Um, so like as a local honey producer, um, where do you get like your most support? Like are, are the people in Alberta really supportive? Beekeeping is a good uh, sort of, they call it the halo food because it has a good reputation. You know, it's, it's a pure product. It's a beneficial thing for a lot of agriculture. It, it provides a lot of indirect money to the economy as well because it helps so many other food crops and and flowers and all those things so honey gets a fairly good support you know we we've grown our customer base over 10 years the the proof is in the jar you know people people try it and they understand the quality right away and they keep coming back they tell their friends you know you've you've we do lots of farmers markets. We do five farmer markets a week during the summertime, during the peak, you know, kind of May till October. We we offer a delivery service where we're year round. We we do weekly deliveries into the whole capital region. Uh, we're in some grocery stores, some ma and pa stores, some 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 really good partners we've we've built up over the years. Some meaderies and some restaurants and food distributors that that specialize to small restaurants that are really making great food so we've we've kind of set our tendrils out everywhere to try to 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 diversify our business and make sure we're offering the best product we can offer and then the rest has to take care of itself of course that's awesome seems like the the local food scene here is um like they really work together Edmonton has a really good food scene. There's a lot of great players who are, who are making great beverages, foods, paying critical attention to the quality of the food, the localness of the food. That's so important. You know, there's so much garbage out there and does nothing for, for a lot of people in the local economy. So if you can support local, it, it means so much in so many ways. I, I definitely agree. So the focus of this documentary, this podcast is on like beekeeping and sustainability. You know, mm-hmm. so how do you think these two practices, um, you know, relate to each other? Because beekeeping is very important, as you said, um, for for the ecosystems. Yeah, it is, and you know, there's there's a lot of talk about uh, a lot of bees, not just honeybees, just all bees in general. But you know, I'm a honeybee beekeeper, so I got to push the good word for the honeybees. Nature in general has to be taken care of. We we have to, we just have to use some common sense and, and try to do the best we can. Uh, beekeeping is is important for the, for the local ecosystem, the local economy. It's it's tied in there. I'm not going to say it's it's the most important thing obviously, but it, it's it's a it's a key part of a lot of things. So I feel very lucky to have sort of stumbled into beekeeping.
Edmontonians really love their bees. From talking with Richard, we've learned that bees can jumpstart entire businesses and foster a strong community that not only appreciates the product, but has a desire to learn more about bees and how they can help. Friesen Supermarket is an example of how great things can happen when the community works together. And this is not only beneficial from an economic standpoint, but also from a sustainable point of view. By encouraging people to engage with nature, beekeeping can help foster community relations, build connections to the natural world, and provide people with lots and lots of delicious honey. Hopefully, Edmonton will continue to embrace and expand its urban beekeeping program. Bees are essential pollinators, and it's important that we keep protecting their populations to make sure that bees are here for a long, long time. Urban beekeeping connects people with nature in the best way possible. By getting outside, cities can encourage sustainability and a healthy community. To learn more about urban beekeeping at Edmonton, check out the city's urban beekeeping page at www.edmonton.ca. And if you want to check out Richard's business, you can go to goodmorningfunny.com. What are you waiting for? Go get some bees! We'd like to thank Megan Miller, CJSR, and Dr. Brett Swallow for making this podcast possible. Shout out to Philippe and Richard for being so cool and to meet her and providing the music. Thanks for listening! You just heard an audio documentary about urban beekeeping created by Madeline Lux and Mario Rodriguez for an agricultural economics class that had a community service learning component at the University of Alberta. Madeline and Mario covered a lot about beekeeping in that documentary, from how beekeeping works, to the difference between urban and rural beekeeping, to how keeping apiaries intersects with both food and wider environmental sustainability. Bees are very charismatic, bumbling little insects that I think that humans can connect with pretty easily. We see them in our everyday lives when we're out in the garden, we eat honey, and we learn from a young age about the tenacity and strong work ethic of these little yellow beings. Therefore, there are lots of conservation initiatives for bees that are pretty easy to latch onto, especially as individuals. One initiative that Tara and former Sonic Patel came across is associated with a product called bee bricks. Bee bricks are, well, bricks that have holes drilled into them that are designed with the intention of having solitary bees hibernate within the small holes. In the city of Brighton and Hove in England, last April, council passed a new condition for city planning that stated that any new building developments that stand more than five meters high will have to include swift boxes, which I believe are nesting boxes for a taxonomic family of birds called swifts, and bee bricks. While this sounds like a good call made by some environmentally-minded city councillors, scientists suggest that this may not actually make much of a real difference for bee populations, and may actually do more harm than good. In an article for The Guardian, Dave Goulson, a biologist at the University of Sussex, said that he had tried out a bee brick for himself, but found that the holes in the brick were not deep enough to be ideal habitat for bees, but that they may have been better than nothing. Goulson noted that even if there was one brick in every house, it wouldn't make much of a real impact on biodiversity. Much more substantial efforts are needed to save bee populations, and bee bricks could be used as a greenwashing technique by developers to say that they've put in the necessary effort. A study done in Toronto looked into some of the methods for providing habitats for bees and their effectiveness. Bee hotels, which are often little wooden structures with holes drilled in them or that have long small tubes, were tested in this study. 
when looking at the occupants of the B Hotel, half of the tenants were introduced non-native species, and the most common insects were solitary wasps. It was also noted that bee hotels create a density that is higher than natural bee habitat selection, which increases the susceptibility of issues like brood parasites spreading from insect to insect. In a different study, bee bricks were also tested and found that only 3.5% of the holes were occupied. This study did note that maintenance was required to protect the bees from larvae mortality due to fungus molds. So while there seems to be mixed opinions on bee bricks, it's important to note that sometimes interventions with good intentions sometimes can have unintended consequences. If you are looking for more content on urban beekeeping or beekeeping in general, we've got some older episodes that you can dive into. You can find a list in the show notes of this episode. That is all the time we have for this week. Thanks for tuning in. Terra Informa is a production of CGSR 88.5 FM and all of our content is created by a team of volunteers. You can reach us for comments or questions via email, tara at cgsr.com, or message us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Terra Informa. For previous episodes, check out our website, terrainforma.ca. I've been your host, Hannah Cunningham. Catch you next week, right here on Terra Informa.